Harper in conversation. I'm Carol Urban, CAS, re-recording mixer, which sounds really strange coming from my mouth right now as I introduce the incomparable legendary re-recording mixer, Michael Minkler, CAS. Uh, Mr. Minkler is a former president of the CAS, a board member, a career achievement recipient, also a three-time Oscar winner, uh, a three-time BAFTA winner, a two-time CAS winner, uh, Mike Minkler. Amazing, you do so much. You're known for such titles such as Star Wars, Dreamgirls, True Lies, Clue. I had to put in True Lies and Clue because those are two of my favorite, by the way. JFK, Black Hawk Down, and so much more. I actually had a really hard time picking which ones to mention because I have a lot of favorites in your repertoire. And with all that I mentioned, I know that I'm woefully understating so many accomplishments from decades-long career that shows no signs of slowing down. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, Mike, thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure to be here. (laughs) (laughs) So you've come from a sonically-centered family, let's say. Um, tell me about the sound artists that you grew up with. Yeah, uh, well, you could say sonically. What did you, what did you just call me, sonically what? <laughs> sonically-centered family. Centered family. Yeah, sonically. I imagine it was very interesting watching films with your family, like, your whole life. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, my dad was a huge fan and, uh, you know, very much into it, and... Uh, and my grandfather, okay, well, let's just go back to where, where this all came from, which is my grandfather was a uh, inventor and an audio person, and he was he was a genius, and he uh, worked at a place called Chicago Labs uh, in the late 20s and early 30s, and he came to Hollywood to be a part of the Vitaphone group, um, because of his expertise in phonograph recordings. And that's when uh, Vitaphone had come along with uh, at Warner Brothers and synchronized audio to pictures, to silent movies at that so time. So the beginning. Oh, yeah, right at the beginning. Wow. Yeah. Now, now, he wasn't a part of Vitaphone. He was just part of the the entire group of, of mm-hmm. people uh, in that era who were working on phonograph recordings. So this is like the 20s. Yeah, 20s and, this and, is and Dar- 30s. this is Daryl Minkler? Daryl, yes. Because there's many Minklers in sound. So he came out here and then um, he uh, opened his own studio called Radio Recorders. He was a part owner and an engineer. And uh, he was he had that studio until about 1948 when his health turned a little bit to the point where he didn't, he, he didn't want to work anymore. Mm-hmm. So he, he basically retired very young. Mm-hmm. Uh, but during that time, my father worked for him. Okay. In the late '40s until about 1950. Mm-hmm. Um, as a young man, he was—I have pictures of him at the lathe, you know, and re- recording these big, <laughs> giant 18-inch discs. And um, that is so wild. I—I I, I think I mentioned this the other day uh, uh, that the history of your family, like the historical pictures of your family, must also kind of like coincide with audio technology changing at this point since there's been so many generations, like literally since the 20s, of your family working in sound. Unfortunately, we don't have pictures that could properly chronicalize all of those changes. so, but I, I've got it all in my head. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) But I can't really show you that right now. Right. I do have a, a, a bunch of my grandfather's drawings and mm-hmm. schematics and things that because oh, he was such a an, an inventor. So anyway, my dad got uh, introduced to sound back then in his uh, early twenties. Uh, so that was the late, in the late forties. Then he moved. My father moved over to Glen Glen. Ah, okay. 
And he stayed at Glen Glen until about 1964. Wow. And during his time at Glen Glen, he, he was doing a lot of television work and mm -hmm. uh, low-budget feature films. I, I have two of his credits, I think I found, because this is Don, Don Minkler, yeah. Don Minkler. Uh, so he did the 1967 Tarzan series, which... I actually have seen yeah. a number of those, and they're pretty phenomenal. And uh, 1970s Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Yeah, oh, he was a very good cool. friend of Russ Meyer's, and yeah. they did quite a few films together. But that was when, when he got his own studio, which was 1964. He moved okay. away from Glen Glen. And he actually, he and, and Bill Mumford, his partner, they were both fired and locked out of the lot at at Glen Glen because oh, no. Glen Glen got word that they were building a studio and Glen Glen was afraid that they would be stealing equipment and or clients or whatever. So they they were banned from the studio lot. Oh, wow. My dad very proudly went drove by the studio lot one day and showed me the sign that said, it had his name on it. You know, it like, oh, don't, Don don't Minkler don't. is forbidden to step foot, you know, whatever it was. <laughs> uh, anyway, he built a place there in Hollywood on Highland Avenue called Producer Sound Service. And then, yes, he did do the Tarzan series. Nice. He, he was mostly in low-budget feature films mm -hmm. and television, and um, most of which, most titles, people really wouldn't recognize today, but there there was some good stuff that came out of there, and he, I think some of his proudest moments were he, he had a run of films that he was working with, um, with uh, Bob Rafelson and Burt Schneider, uh, Peter Bogdanovich, and uh, so he was doing the last picture show, and he was, and he did the um, uh, Easy Rider. Oh wow! And is this about? I mean, this is the '70s, so I imagine you're running around, spending some time yes. in the dubs. Yeah, I'm running around in the '60s. I so by 1967, I'm like spending my summers at the studio when I, when I was 15, you know, and okay. then again and when I was 16, and then by the time I was 17, I was full time. Wow, and what did they have you doing, like, in the beginning? Well, anything and everything. Right on. You know, from, from <laughs> sweeping and, and, you know, right, and right. to, you know, putting short ends together and reclaiming stock. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, loading the, the machines, you know, as a machine loader to begin with. Wow. Of course, and then uh, became a, moved up into recording. But back then when you were a machine operator, you were, well, you were a recordist, a machine operator, and a projectionist all at the same time wow. like in these small little rooms that had all the machines in the same room. So it was a one-man show. Right. A lot of physical work, unlike it is today. Okay, yeah. Um, just keeping the projector arc lamp lit, you know, yeah, while yeah. you're, you know, biasing up your recorder, while you're, you're running right, the machines, right. the machines are running off, uh, you know. And this is back in the day when I used to hear rumors of where they would change a reel and people would play... Like play games or like go take a break or be there with these real changes, right? With these breaks yes. that occurred in, in feature films. Uh, well, okay, so most machine rooms only had like about maybe as little as six machines, but mm -hmm. as, and as many as thirty. Thirty would be the biggest room in town, mm -hmm. and so yeah, when a real change came, uh, it was twenty to thirty minutes. It could be twenty to thirty minutes wow. to take take the reels off and then put the new ones back on and bias up the recorder. That's when they really use those air hockey tables that we all see. That's exactly where the <laughs> hockey tables and the ping pong tables came from. That's exactly right. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. I feel like I kind of missed the boat there a little bit. I, I wish yeah. I had air hockey time with my team. <laughs> and then as things went on, those times grew in their uh, in their length, those real changes. The longest I ever had was eight hours. Eight-hour wow. real change. Uh, because it was in the... This was in the day. This was over a 
which is now Sony at the Cary Grand Theater, but back then it was MGM. We were doing a very large film. They had, they had 36 machines, mostly six-track. And mm-hmm. um, to, buy a, a, to, to, to get them aligned, to get the playback machines right. aligned, and then the, the, the recorders all tweaked out. Sure. I mean, it took a long time. Wow. Between reels. And uh, I almost had to, uh, in fact, I did get a night shift to come in and do the reel mm-hmm. change at night so that we could come in the morning at 9 o'clock and roll. Wow. But that was very rare. I mean, that, that something like that huh, would happen. That's but crazy. yeah, reel changes were very physical. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, anyway, but my dad had a pretty good run there from 1964 to about 1978. Okay. And uh, so I started with him in 1970. I left him in 1974, uh, 76. I went to Warner Brothers, got a huge break, uh, totally luck, accidental thing. I ended up going over there on their big uh, feature stage with Art Pianodosi and Les Freshholtz, and I started in a, uh, to do sound effects on a movie for two weeks. We did the movie, and they said, I said, well, now what do you want me to do? And they said, well, just come back on Monday. So, And so I ended up being huh. there for four years, and it was the greatest experience, certainly at that time. I'm, I'm going to try that philosophy. I'm just going to show <laughs> just show up on Monday. Well, That's they told fantastic. me. just I, Literally, I was like, so what, am I, what do you want me to do now? Right? <laughs> should, I, should I come back on Monday? Yeah. Actually, the line that Art Pianodosi said to me when I said, do you want me to come back on Monday? His line was, well, I didn't tell you not to. Nice. <laughs> so I came back on Monday, and we went right into another film, which was Harry and Walter Go to New York. Hmm. Then we went into Gumball Rally, and then... This uh, is Star Wars' this time, too, right? Yes. It was like my ah. fifth or sixth film over there at Warner Brothers was Star Wars. Shut up. And we That's very, crazy. <laughs> very luckily got onto that because... Mm-hmm. Uh, because of a relationship that my father had with Jim Nelson, who was right. the post-production supervisor on Star Wars, Jim knew Art Pianodosi and Les Freshels and okay. their work, and 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 the, the stage was phenomenal. And mm-hmm. over there, Warner Brothers uh, dubbing five, they called it. Uh, you know, I was like, "Can we have a shot at it?" You know, right? And I was just this twenty-four-year-old punk, <laughs> and um, so George and uh, George Lucas and. Uh, Gary Kurtz, his producer, they came down and uh, Jim, Jim Nelson, and Jim introduced them to us, and we played them a segment from the movie Marooned. It was a science fiction movie, so we just, mm-hmm. so we so they could get a feel for the room, and then we talked, and uh, they showed us a little bit of footage of Star Wars, very little. I mean, it was like almost nothing, but we talked about Star Wars, and mm-hmm. and and it sounded to me like wow. Is he, so I, I just, I'll never forget that I said something like along the lines of. It, towards the end of the whole meeting, I said, "Well, I sure hope we can do the film because you know I've it's it's been, uh, it would be a dream of mine to, I mean it is a dream of mine to someday work on a science fiction film from the future, you know with spaceships and, yeah, and yeah. all this kind of stuff." And and George looked at me very seriously and said. This film does not take place in the future. This takes place 10,000 years ago in a different galaxy. Wow. I was like, okay, got it. <laughs> Little did I know that, that was the headline of the film. Right, right. Um, <laughs> That's the yellow writing. That tells it's you. <laughs> the, and it, I figure 
if I asked him that question, how many people were going to ask oh, yeah, him that that's question? Probably like the so he just had to come right day, out and yeah. explain it. Boom, right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's his elevator pitch. Yeah. I love it. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Yeah. Oh, so anyway, uh, we did, we I guess we impressed him enough that uh, they trusted us. So we started working on the film and uh, pre-mixing. Pre-mixed all the dialogue, pre-mixed all the sound effects. Uh, we spent about seven weeks doing that, and and unfortunately, we had we were committed on that stage to do Warner Brothers' big movie coming out that summer, which was Exorcist Two. Ah, well, it's one of the worst <laughs> films ever made. It's 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 uh, some people might, might like it because of uh, I don't I don't know why you like it, but <laughs> <laughs> it I mean Exorcist itself the Exorcist is a classic. Oh, it, oh it's that's amazing. the greatest film. Amazing, amazing, amazing. That's one of the greatest yeah, yeah. scariest amazing. films yeah. of all time. But Exorcist Two was was pretty silly, uh, and I saw three too. I saw them all. Oh, you did? Yeah. I did. Okay. yeah. <laughs> well, two, Exorcist Two, The Heretic, mm -hmm. was so bad that the Monday morning of its initial release weekend, right? six hundred prints were returned to the studio Stop. from the exhibitors demanding their money back. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it was a revolt. And they had to come back in, and we had to keep we had to keep, uh, continue mixing, trying to fix the film. And the way they fixed the film was they took like six minutes of film from uh, Exorcist Number One and stuck it on the head of Exorcist Two, two. Okay. to give you like a lead into the story. Copy that. And meanwhile, you're doing all this while you're trying to balance time with Star Wars. Well, okay, let me go back to the Star Wars thing. So because we were working on a Fox film, Star mm -hmm. Wars, at Warner Brothers. We were and we had to do this Warner Brothers film. Sure. They kicked Star Wars out. Oh. The sound department head, Al Green, came down and said, You're out of here. My, you know, my guys have got, you know, they told George, You're out of here on Monday. They kicked Star Wars out? Yeah. And I'm like, You, 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 you can't do that. <laughs> no, you can't. You can't do that. <laughs> we, we haven't finished this yet. We haven't started the final yet. We're still pre mixing. And there's other, no, you got you to gotta go. We got to go to this other thing. And I couldn't talk him out of it. And we were also scheduled to do Close Encounters right afterwards. <sighs> oh, stop. Your adventures are awesome. <laughs> and, and Spielberg had come down around a couple of different afternoons mm -hmm. and sat with us and, and watched us do some premixes and yeah. hang out with George. So, you know, we were sitting in a pretty good catbird seat right now, there. At this you time, know? you weren't sharing like a console with your dad. You were actually working with uncles, right? Like you have. No, I haven't got. No. No, this no. isn't that. Okay, that's later. No, I will. Okay, well, so this segues into my uncle. So, okay. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Star Wars had to leave. You know, George, okay. and I, I'll never forget. I was sitting right next to George, and he picks up the phone and he calls Steve and he says, "Okay, uh, they're kicking us out of here. You should take your film out of here too. They don't treat you very nicely. The crew is great. I'm having a good time. We're, we're doing a lot of good work, but the studio uh, are, will mistreat you. So get out of here." Hmm. So Stephen pulled his picture out and took it to Tadeo. Ah. And we had to put a crew together. We didn't know what we were going to do with Star Wars, so we put a crew together for George, uh, sort of handpicked, and it mm -hmm. was um, it was Ray West, mm -hmm. Bob Minkler, mm -hmm. my uncle Bob took my spot as, on sound effects. Okay. Ray took dialogue, and Don McDougal took music. Nice. And so on that following Monday, uh, and it had to be at night because there was an overlap with Dick Portman's film. Mm -hmm. So they started off at night, and they ended up going in the daytimes, but. Uh, so they started off that, that next Monday. I was, George asked me to go down there and where after work and I would spend uh, about four hours with the guys explaining what we had done with all these pre-dubs because they were, they were walking in cold to do a final. 
Oh my God. On a yeah. film that had never, nobody had ever done anything like this. Right. At that point. I mean, there were 300 yeah. tracks per reel. Nobody had ever done that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right now that's of, Tuesday, but yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> the biggest one back, you know, it maybe had 20 sound effects tracks. Wow. And here we were we were working in the 300s on every reel. Yeah, on everything, yeah. So I had, was the one who started doing premixes uh, because ah. there's no way we could carry these tracks. So I go, okay, right. we're going to premix in stereo, in four track, right. uh, with an LCR and a mono surround. I've got to get this down to a workable number. Right. To about, I think it was maybe 12 yeah. four track pre-dubs. Yeah. That we could take and send, you know, get uh, uh, that's sure. what we were going to do, and that's what we ended up sending to uh, to Warner Hollywood. It was Warner, I guess it was Warner Hollywood at the time. Uh, that's where they finished it. Wow! And actually, there were three tracks in a mono. It wasn't a four track because they didn't have three four tracks track. in a mono. Yeah, it was an LCR, yeah, LCR and a and surround. Were, yeah, okay. And they did so we couldn't record the surrounds at the same time. That was another thing that they oh. told me: you can't record surrounds at the same time. I said, "Well, wait a minute. If I put a thing on a thing, watch me." And I did it. <laughs> it was the only way to get the front and back movement going yeah, was yeah. to actually do it. And I had to do it with faders. I didn't have pan pots. They didn't. Oh wow! Pan pots didn't go into the surrounds. Yeah, this because this is this is way before this is way pre automation at this point. Too. Oh yeah, yeah. So you, this is like you, so this you is like live pre-mix. theater mixing. Like yes, I, yeah. That is, concept is so so the whole LCR <laughs> surround thing mm-hmm. with you know you, we would put up thirty tracks mm-hmm. and make a premix of it, and then put up another thirty tracks and premix wow. and another thirty tracks, and we try to categorize them, of course, keep them all into right. food groups. Sure, you know. So we had our uh, the Foley pre dubs, and then uh, you know the the, sa- the lightsaber pre-dubs and wow. the explosion pre-dubs and the spaceships yeah. pre-dubs. They had X fighter pre-dubs versus the uh, uh, tie fighters. The tie fighters, yeah, 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 yeah. and you know, so every, I mean, everything was separate. Mm-hmm. But it had to come condensed down into a workable thing that we could right, take right. into and a final. Could, yeah. And so that's when I just started pre-dubbing and pre-dubbing in stereo. Huh. And. Uh, and you stayed with this crew for a while, right? Because I stayed with them for yeah. yeah, a total of four years. But anyway, the movie went off to Warner Hollywood, and the, mm-hmm. and, the, and the rest is history, as they say. Yeah, yeah. And later, you won a. Is this is the same crew that you won an Oscar with for Tron, right? No, no. So then, okay. uh, Star Wars, nineteen seventy seven, nineteen eighty. I just I was offered opportunity to go to Robert Altman's Lionsgate Studios. Okay. In Santa Monica, he had just built a facility. Okay. Dick Portman was his guy and had done a couple of his films. And Dick was in, was at that facility, was in charge mm-hmm. of that little, small little sound department. That and guy's Dick legendary. Was, and he's totally legendary. And <laughs> But one day, Dick disappeared mm-hmm. and literally disappeared. Nobody could huh. find him for a couple of weeks. And they frantic. So they called somebody, I think it was Bud Greenspeck, to come in and finish the movie. But then they were looking for somebody full time. Right. Because Dick just didn't want to do it. He was just gone. Right. It was a different dick. Um, and so they were out shopping around for somebody to come in and permanently do the thing, uh, you know, be the sound, yeah, run yeah. the sound department and be the mixer. And that was, I threw my hat in and I had an interview and they hired mm-hmm. me. I went to Lionsgate for f- four years. We did some incredible things there. We did one of the, s- the second film we ever did was Tron. We did Wolfen. Nice. Um, we, uh, I, I, the console was very small and, and not, capable of doing some things and because of my experience at, at Warner Brothers doing Star Wars and other stereo films like Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band where we're doing these six track mixes yeah 
but we were going into one recorder because that's where the consoles were built back. Sure, sure. So it's the left, uh, the the dialogue, music, and effects mixers, three man, we're all going into one recorder. So if one guy messes up, everybody's yeah. got to yeah, yeah, you got to go back and yeah. jump in. But yeah. everybody's you you have to reperform every single time. Understood. Yes. And, and even though we had pre-dubs, it helps a little bit, but still we it's had to reperform. Yeah. Um, and I said, so when I went to Lionsgate, I said, enough of that. I want <laughs> I want three recorders, three separate six-track recorders. Ah, okay. I, that's when I started STEM recording. Look at you, Dialogue, right music, on. and yeah. effects. Yeah. So I had to, the console could. standard now. Standard. Oh, absolutely standard. Yeah. When, once they found out about it, uh, people found out, Bud Grinsberg was, I think, one of the first ones that he found out about it. And then. And everybody started doing it. Yeah. And I mean, because it made so much sense, but they had to rebuild so the sense. consoles because our console couldn't hold it, couldn't, uh, was not capable, didn't have that many mix buses. Ah. So I had to buy another console, tie them together so I could get uh, 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 18 mix buses, uh, six, six, 12, 18. Yeah. Wow. So I got 18 mix buses. Awesome. Because no console had 18. You know, you, you are having incredible, like, I think a lot of people know you as being this amazing re recording mixer and incredible storyteller, and all those things are true, but. I was really surprised, and I'm I'm even more surprised as we're talking now, to when I learned about the SA2 and how that was built off of a bespoke box that you carried with you f from film to film, that yeah. you're quite a technological innovator as well. What was it called? It was the attack box? The, or the Sonic Assault. The Sonic Assault box. Yeah, that's yes. SA. First off, uh, I love the title. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. I, I did come up with the title. <laughs> No, that was just something I had over at um, uh, Lantana. Very, actually, we were Skywalker, but I'll get to that story. But, okay, absolutely. But, yes, uh, I, didn't want, uh, I didn't mean to. I'm just that, impressed with your technological innovations well, here. I was the kind of person, <laughs> I am the kind of person that says, why not? Mm -hmm. So when somebody says, you can't do that, and I say, why not? Well, mm -hmm. you know, It sounds like a good idea. I think we can do that. Let's figure it out. Yeah. I was never one to just sit back and just say, you know, you know, raise my faders up and down. Hey, I'm a mixer. Right, right. No, I had to figure out how better, to solve. If, if there was yeah. a better way to do it, I would certainly go down the path and figure it out. And I also, the way I mix dialogue, everybody was using chains and they mm -hmm. still do to this day. Mm -hmm. Every mixer in, in the business uses chains. I don't. Hmm. In 1980, when I started, when I went to Lionsgate and I started to do dialogue mixing, um, I said, I'm not using a chain. There's a better way. Huh. And I figured out my better way, which was to do things in line. Mm -hmm. It had to make me work harder. Right. And had to get more equipment. Sure. In order to handle that. Um, but it was well worth it to me. I thought mm -hmm. I could do things in a much better fashion and it would sound better. Mm. So I've been doing it since 1980. Wow. Uh, uh, in line, everything. Amazing. All your processes are in line, so you're duplicating more, I would imagine. Yeah, well, yeah. these days it's really easy because you, you you buy the software, you just drop it across right. uh, 24 tracks or 40 Do you bring physical gear with you like you did with the Sonic Assault anymore? No, or you've no. moved Okay, to... well, that's a whole other story. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't like plugins. Ah. I have a total aversion to plugins. I can't oh, wow. stand them. Well, that's changed over the years. The reason I didn't like them, okay, first of all, going all the way back to the Warner Brothers days, I got into gear mm -hmm. because Warner Brothers had an open account at a place called uh, Audio Rents. Okay. And they allowed me to go rent anything I wanted, anytime I wanted, and put it on the Warner Brothers account. So Ooh. I, w it was like a kid in a candy shop. Literally. Totally. 
Uh, and I would rent things all day, you know, 10 things at a time. Yeah. And I would just sit there on nights and weekends by myself just Play. Doing, doing stuff with, yeah. with outboard equipment. So my next few years, I'm doing that kind of, that was my philosophy. I'm going to do some, you know, wild stuff here. I had all this outboard gear at my disposal. I used it and, and I became very good with it. And uh, only... I, I became better than anybody else doing it because nobody else had the money to go out and do this thing. Warner Brothers was so you know accommodating to me. And they yeah, said, do whatever you want, you know. So uh, I was again, I was just very fortunate. So mm -hmm. I, I just took that philosophy with me where, everywhere I went. I, I was a kind of a gearhead guy. But then mm -hmm. uh, things started to change, of course, and they went into software, and and that's when I decided. Uh, I didn't want to do it because uh, I didn't want to do it anymore because I would it, people would rely on me to do all of their uh, audio processing on stage. All these sound editors, they'd come in and just they were just so reliant on me doing what could be considered their job, what actually is their job these days. But, yeah, yeah. But back then it was like it was my job to do it, but I was taking up so much mix time. Playing with you know turning knobs and and playing with sound and coming up with sounds and I ended up you know I'm working nights and weekends just creating things, uh, sound designing. This mm -hmm. is exactly what I was doing was sound designing for mm -hmm. for editors. So when software came along and the the cost went way down, mm -hmm. the accessibility to to all of these tools started, uh, opened up, and so they started getting their hands all over things and that's when I started ah. backing off. Of some oh of these okay things. okay. The other thing that an innovation- It's an opportunity that, for you to gain some more mix time. <laughs> exactly. I wanted more mix time. Right, right. I get it. It's, it's the fight every day to try and get the maximum amount of mix time I can possibly get. Yeah. Yeah. It's to where it is today. I, I don't do anything. I make them do it. I don't make them. <laughs> I ask them to do it. I don't do uh, a, a lot of that type of stuff. It mm -hmm. should be done offline. Right, right. Not in an expensive room with a bunch of people looking at you, waiting, you know- Tapping your fingers. Create you, the right decay you, or yeah, the right I, little, yeah. I mean, certain things, of course, yeah, yeah. I have to do them. It's part of what we do. But other things, so I have to make that calculation. You know, some things I just say, no, this needs to be done offline and this we can attack right now. Copy that. Uh, but another, and another innovation that came along back in the Lionsgate days was um, we were always, I was always moving sync. I'm a, I'm a mm -hmm. nut for making things fit. Uh -huh. And if I can move something a frame or two or, or 10 feet, Right. And make it play better than it than it could when it came in the door from the editors. Then so be it. it. Uh, then so be it. Yeah. And I was always moving, move this a frame, move this a frame, blah, 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 blah. and it was very hard to keep track of on these thirty-five millimeter machines. Mm -hmm. It was cumbersome. So I invented, or not, I didn't. Invent, the engineers at Lionsgate at the time, uh, Jim Ketchum, as a matter of fact, was the guy who did, who said. Can I get you, what if I build you a box so you could do this? And I said, yes, I mean, I need to do this, this, this. And he built the Ketchum box, which huh. was a synchronizer. So we put all the machines, all 30 machines that we had upstairs and the recorders on the synchronizer so that I could move them automatically and it could have total, it would have recall. Nice. So I could move them myself frame by frame or just give it a number, 100 feet, boom. And it starts taking off all by itself Move, it throws itself 100 feet out of sync. I can grab my effect that I need or do what I need to do and hit uh, recall and it goes right back into sync. Nice. You know, again, there's an innovation that everybody in the entire industry uh, 
um, embraced, and they of all course. came up with it, and yeah. it became it was the Ketchum box. Nice. And I always wanted him to put call it the MM one thousand. <laughs> and he didn't. He called it the JKS box, <laughs> or J awesome. JSK, JSK box. And the reason uh, things didn't work out too well with Jim Ketchum and us at uh, right you know, a year or two afterwards. And so Jim was let go from the company, mm -hmm. and we gave him that mm -hmm. because he would built it for the company. The company owned it, Lionsgate. But we gave that. I said, Jim, the JSK box is yours. Mm -hmm. Go with it, and he made a whole career out of building synchronizers for the next twenty years. Huh. That's good for wild. him. He was a, he's a brilliant guy, huh. and uh, so he made a good living. So, how did you get convinced to finally to consider software uh, processing? Okay. Uh, yeah. When 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 um, when technology caught up to it, uh, quality. Understood. Because in the when it first started, it was all this sixteen bit crap, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it was not compatible with. And plus, yeah. we were so we all through the all through the nineties uh, were going through the dozen or so different workstations, mm -hmm. and in the battles of who's going to come out the uh, yeah who's going to be the victor the, the victor, yeah. and of course uh, the cheapest one won uh, because it was affordable, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and. But the plugins that accommodated all of that mm -hmm. were, were were just not good. Mm -hmm. So that company had to uh, years later. It was many years later. It was about two thousand or something. They completely rebuilt their entire infrastructure and they came up mm -hmm. with a sixteen bit floating point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thing which at is that point at yeah. now now things are good. Copy now all yeah. the, all the softwares. is you know sounding good and mm -hmm. systems are all working right, right. great. And that's when I started started to embrace it. I still don't like them that much, but I do. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I use them for. Do you still use the Sonic Assault or? Absolutely, I can't do a film without the Sonic Assault. So you don't yes, use the SA two version. No, I use the SA two. No, oh, the, you, the original the hardware piece of hardware. Yeah, yeah the piece of oh, hardware. No, it, it's uh, it's in some museum somewhere. Ah, no, it's and now literally you, now you're software. It had to be software, be, and I wanted software early on because it was cumbersome. Yeah. When I was at Lantana, mm -hmm. I had it just sitting there and on, uh, that, well, that's where we built it at mm -hmm. Lantana. The engineer, uh, Joe Brennan, uh, came up with the idea for it. I actually, it was designed to be something else. It was designed to be a nine band limiter and it didn't work that well. He, <laughs> okay. As a limiter okay. for nine bands, but it did work really well as a, on the top five bands as a, a DSer. Huh. So that's how I started to use it yeah. and continued to use it. But Joe only made one of them, and he didn't write anything down, and nobody knew what was inside. <laughs> and anytime it ever broke, unfortunately, Joe passed away. And so anytime it ever broke, it was up to Gary Simpson or one of the other engineers to figure out how to fix it. Wow. Get new parts. They didn't even make the parts anymore. You know, it was so that kind of thing. Did you seek out DSP or or, or Mick DSP, or did they find you to say? Carrie Thomas was. Uh, Carrie with, Thomas. Little, ah. Yeah, I love Carrie Thomas, and yes. he was with us at Tadio. He had just come to work with us for about a year. Um, anyway, he came up to me one day and he sees me. And he knows I'm using it. He because he, he was my mix tech for a little bit on mm -hmm. and off. Uh, he said, uh, would you like a digital version of that? I go, hell yes. <laughs> I mean, I've been waiting for one of these for a long time. It would be fantastic. So he called the guys. Nice. 
Nice. And they came and they took it for two days and then brought it back and they said, okay, we got it. We understand, wow. We understand what it does. Huh. Because I really couldn't explain to him what it does and nobody yeah. knew what it does and, and it didn't do what it was supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. It's, All I know is that yeah. whatever it's doing right now is really good and useful. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it, I like it. I use it. Uh, okay. And it, it's, uh, it really helps with harsh transients. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it eliminates it just, them. Yeah. It because makes you, things not. As a dialogue minister, you got to use mid highs and highs to, uh, you need to pull those out, mm -hmm. you know, bring them up. And when you do that, you know, to, to make the dialogue yeah, stand out a little bit, yeah, yeah. you're going to get all these spikes that, that mm -hmm. come with it, the transients and Absolutely. et cetera. So that's what, it, that's, that's what it's for. It's fantastic. It's to back you up. And the MCDSP actually won in 2017 the CAS Outstanding Product Award for the SATO. So that, and yeah, won an Emmy also. Ah, excellent. Of which I got. Nice. I have two Emmys, by you the way. You have two? That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Your, your living room must look like uh, like Liberace <laughs> lives there. You got a lot, of, <laughs> right. a, lot, a lot of gold hanging around. <laughs> it's fantastic. And, and so and speaking of that, actually, um, so you've won... Academy Awards for Dreamgirls, Chicago, Black Hawk Down. Um, uh, you you had a nomination for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, you had thir your thirteenth Oscar nomination was for Greyhound. I mean, you've won three Oscars. You've been nominated many many times. What did that feel like to win the first Oscar? Uh, did it feel different than the third? Oh God! <laughs> I had to ask. <laughs> well, look. I was 24 years old when I when I did Star Wars. So I'm going to be very honest with you mm -hmm. that um, when they had to come up with a when there was so many mixers involved, they had to come up with a new rule. Okay. Uh, they had to pick three. Okay. And because there was two crews, there were six of us. There was actually oh. seven. There's seven mixers credited on there. Um, they had to, somebody had to choose it. Oh, what At a that hard, point, that's a terrible it, job. It's a. Uh, uh, so somebody chose okay. the three, and I was not of those mm -hmm. three, and so I mixed out on an Academy Award. My uh, uncle Bob Minkler mm -hmm. did get the Academy Award, um, which is all cool, and and uh, you know he did a great job. But having brushed that close to having an Academy Award when I was twenty four years old, it kind of stuck with me. Sure. Um, and then, you know, subsequently, I, you know, the next year I had a nomination on, on the electric course. And then the year after that, I got a nomination on Altered States. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of on a Oscar brushing with Oscar role. Mm -hmm. And that went on for 20 some years, 24 years. Wow. And, um, and uh, Black Hawk Down came around in uh, 2001. An excellent, excellent mix. And um, I thought, I think this time is going to do it, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, I, I had Oscar in my brain, of course. Right. I'm not going to say, no, I never thought about having an Oscar. Of yeah, course yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, because I always want to do my best anyway. And so, hell, if I can get on, if you, you got to be lucky. Yeah. You got to have the right project. Correct. Which is partially luck. How'd you get that project? You know, mm -hmm. I missed projects because I was not available or for some other reason. Sure, know? sure. I mean, if, if if I had actually mixed of the of the in the in the last forty in the in the forty years that I've been mixing, forty five years I've been mixing, I could have had fourteen Oscars mm -hmm. had I done all the films right 
that including the ones that I missed. Copy that. And how do you? How you can't know how you can't know well, which you, one. Well, is you can't because your your yeah. your your path is going to take a different direction anyway. So it, yeah. it actually is it's a completely false statement to say something like that. <laughs> hey, I could have had fourteen <laughs> if right, if but, I had done that one and that one and that one. But your brush with Oscar is. is but your your yeah. path moves. Mm-hmm. You know, I I would have. Uh, you know, I got Blackhawk down for a reason. I got Chicago for a reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reason I got Chicago was because of Blackhawk down. Hmm. And the reason I got Black, I, I, that's what Harvey Weinstein told me. Yeah. You know, well, you're you know the latest Oscar winner. I want you to do it. Okay. Huh. Um, wow. It was simple as that. Wow. Uh, so what did it feel like? Uh, when anyway, you so what did it feel it? like? Uh, yeah. So. Having all of that, you know, pent up thing, you know, yeah. here I am, and I, and I actually really thought for some, um, for some reason, I thought I was going to win. They called my name, and I uh, completely lost it. I blew it. Uh, uh, I, I couldn't get out of my seat. Oh uh, no, you didn't. It, it seemed like you know seconds went by. I don't know. It probably not. But on my way down, I, I'm, I'm crying, and I'm, and I'm, and I look, I'm see myself in a monitor, in a TV monitor that's up on the wall because there's a camera in front of me mm-hmm. and I'm walking towards it and I can see myself and I, and I, I can even see what I'm mouthing. I'm not, shouldn't do. I'm not <laughs> going to say, I was just mouthing something to myself. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, I got up on stage, Halle Berry gave me my, my, my st- statue and I, and I just, I lost it. I was, I, I, I had to read and I couldn't barely read what I was wanted to say because I was through, through the tears and stuff. Oh, so it was. So it was uh, this cathartic moment. It felt wonderful. It sounds like. Oh like it my was God. Just... Yeah. Yeah. It was totally incredible. Uh, Chicago was. That um, was the next year, and it was a completely different feeling. And uh, oh right, because you waited so long, and then it's like boom, 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 and then Dreamgirls was only three years after that. Wow. So it was like three out of six years. Wow. And. So it, so did you get I swagger like the third time up or you like, you got a little, no. you know? <laughs> uh, no, yeah. Not not because of that, but um, look, mixers are arrogant. <laughs> hey, I'm a mixer. <laughs> hey now. We all get our own little full of ourselves. It is no. lovely to get recognition. It is lovely. And I have said a hundred times, gee, if I had won that Oscar back in when I was 24 years old, can you imagine what an asshole I'd be now? <laughs> See, the Lord was looking out for you. The universe was it was working it out. I for think you. so. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> I mean, people think I am anyway without having done that. So you know, I've been called a lot of things in my time, and that's been one of them uh, a few times. So you know, it is what it is. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. And, you know, what I also noticed, I, I was looking at kind of uh, just some big highlights of, of, of some of your achievements here. And when you want, you also were given the, uh, you were the career achievement recipient for the CAS. For the CAS. And that was almost 20 years ago. That is insane. It is insane. That is insane. Yeah. And at the time, I in my speech when I received it, I said, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to accept this, but I'm going to be back for a lifetime achievement award. <laughs> In about 20 years. <laughs> I love it. You know, it's funny. I, uh, being uh, in the role of president and having seen a couple career achievement recipients, that is a constant theme that people get it and they are, uh, you know, they're 
touched and they're overwhelmed, which they should be, because I mean, basically, a, you know, a, a panel of your peers is picking you out from the the mass of people that w- do what we do to say you have uh, a career achievement that we need to recognize as an industry. So, I mean, it's a major honor. I mean, what an honor! Absolutely. Uh, but um, everybody says the same thing. I'm too young for this. I'm not done. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's more, there's more. In fact, I think Paul Massey said last year in his speech, um, I'm available for work on Monday. So if you guys <laughs> call me on Monday, yeah. did you did you feel that too? You felt like, you know, oh, I wait thought a it was minute. Absolutely you know. premature. I knew I had another 20 years in me. <laughs> but you, you changed the name from lifetime achievement to career achievement. Yes. Right, yes. right then. Yes. And so I, that's why, yeah, I'll take career. <laughs> I'll take but career. It's not lifetime. lifetime yet. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you haven't seen anything yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so with all these different stories and narratives that you have mixed, uh, love stories, action films, uh, submarine adventures, Greyhound was incredible, Clue, so many different flavors of narratives that you've told. Uh, is there a particular type of film that calls to you creatively that like is a real treat to work on like do you have a favorite thing that you like to mix not really but musicals are fun because they're so challenging and i love a challenge Mm -hmm. they're really difficult and a lot of people don't understand that they sing a song how easy can that be the music's already (laughs) pre-recorded oh my god there's so much work that goes into Mm -hmm. a musical and and by so many people Mm mm-hmm um, Chicago was very difficult to do because uh, uh, then it, it was more difficult than it would be today because of the technology. Today, uh, the music editors have so many tools mm-hmm. uh, at their disposal. They can do s- magic in the boxes mm-hmm. that we, we 20 years ago in we Chica- with Chicago, we, we couldn't do. I mean, uh, we couldn't have done it. It was... With Chicago, there was a pre-record, there was a record, and there was a post-record of all the vocals and all the music. Mm-hmm. So we had things to choose from. The music editor could choose from. I could choose from. We had how to get in and out of songs, how to, uh, to, to you know, to take uh, the best parts of the music. We had isolation on every single instrument. Um, you know, there's a whole lot of what goes into it. It's so hard. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of that is taken care of today by just the music editor, so it's mm-hmm. a little easier today. But it, anyway, is it more it, collab? Is it a larger team? I would imagine too, because you have. Yeah. I would imagine. I know you have a larger production team on set. I would imagine there are more, like it's a larger editorial team, more music yeah. mixers, scoring mixers, that type of thing, song mixers for for you to work with as well in the dub yeah. stage. Right? The music team can be, uh, you know, five to twenty-five people. Wow. You know, it's a lot. It's, it's like it's like the sound. Of, it's like the sound effects team mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be five to twenty-five. Hmm. You know, depending on the size of your movie. With that being in mind, and, and the fact that you enjoy musicals so much, do you have a, a like a dream project, like maybe a space future <clears throat> musical film? I don't know. Do you still have a dream project, or have you at this point? Is no. it you're just experiencing each thing anew as it comes? Yeah, I, I take them all as they come. Even the l- little films that don't that are not challenging whatsoever, mm-hmm. but have some fun doing it and knock it out and let's all have a good time, kind of a thing. That, you know, those are fine, and then and everything in between. I, I like big ones because they're just difficult. 
Mm. Black Hawk Down was by far the most difficult thing I've ever done. Some yeah. of the other people who worked on it, it's probably the most difficult thing that they worked on. Mm -hmm. The reason I say that is in September of that year, 2001, we uh, screened the film okay. for the first time. We did a quick little, well, we did a five-day temp dump mm -hmm. on it using uh, not even real cut tracks. No, I mean, th th there was no sound team on the movie. Wow, okay. Okay, and and all the production sound had been thrown out because all the gunshots. Right. Uh, because uh, 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 Ridley wanted authentic... Uh, uh, authentic reactions from his stars, from his actors. So he, all the guns were loaded wow. and with blanks, but uh -huh. they're loaded and right. people are shooting them because he wants people's reactions. And there's wow. sort of live fire going off at all times with blanks. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so you couldn't use any production. Uh, so they, and they looped everything right there on the set. As soon as they finished a the shot, they walked into a, a, a booth a, tra a trailer sure and re and recited their lines so we had a, oh. we had like 6000 loop lines that were done on production now we never used any of them except in the temp dub oh and okay. we only made a temp dub so that we could understand what the movie was about and they had to show it to the studio oh my god temporary That's helicopters crazy. and and the, uh, the the editorial team they mm -hmm. just put in the mm -hmm. stuff yeah but yeah. mostly it was these 6000 loop lines so you could tell the story so you you knew right then that a major challenge was coming your direction. Oh, this is going to be, yeah, yeah, gonna be how are we going to do this? Well, but it didn't <laughs> wasn't supposed to come out until June the okay. next year in 2002. Okay. So this was September 2001. Yeah, this All was right. like, like September 8th. Okay. I love how you're like, it was so, September 8th. Like this is a moment I'm, you I'm remember. Pretty, I'm pretty sure it was. <laughs> and uh, the, they screened it right there at Lantana. And um, they came out of the screening and we all had a meeting. And they said, Joe Roth, the producer, says, uh, and somebody from Sony was there, and they said, can we get this out for Christmas? And we're Whoa. like, what? We have, the sound editorial hasn't even started. Music has not even started. Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Nothing. It's September 8th, and you want to be out in the theaters on December 25th? No. Wow. And we, and we thought about it, and we went, well, wait a minute. Yes, mm -hmm. we can do it. And um, the next day, we just started hiring all these people. We came up with a game plan, blah, blah, blah. You know, Hans hired wow. five composers to, and they all worked off of uh, individually on every single scene. Bob Battermy, his music uh, editor, would take all five of everybody's uh, offerings and pick and choose wow. which ones, and he'd sew them together. So it was literally five composers that were all feeding Hans and his, wow. Hans is doing the major stuff and they're doing all the other stuff. Uh -huh. and, and Bob is like sifting through everything. And this is, that was the musical process. It's obviously, it's way more difficult than, or, and complex than what I just said. Well, that sounds uh, pretty complex. But so it's I'll pretty be, complex. I'll be pretty straight. That didn't sound easy. Per Hallberg hired like, you know, about 25 sound sure. editors. And then we all had to loop everybody for real. Wow. Because we yeah, had to yeah, start yeah, all because, over. Yeah, yeah, from scratch. So those 6,000 yeah. loop lines had to be redone. Huh. So, and then we just started mixing anything and everything. You know, the Foley had to be So was recorded. it all just coming at you? It was you 56 and... straight days on two mixing stages with 25 to 35 editors wow. feeding us. 
and we were just going 12 hour days, 56 straight days. And I can't imagine it was like they get, delivered you a reel to work on. Like things no. were just flying in. Just flying in. Wow. And the whole time visual effects is updating. Mm -hmm. uh, so all of a sudden, oh, there's more gunshots in this scene. <laughs> you know, there's all these bullet holes that are appearing and, yeah. and ca cars blowing up in the background and I always stuff. get that right before a playback where we get, oh, we got updated picture. Okay, we'll put up the updated picture. And then we go to a couple of the VFX moments and we realize the timing's different. And we're like, yeah, we're just going to do our playback and fix it afterwards. Go to old picture. Go to old picture. <laughs> because yeah. the timing will change a little bit. And you're like, oh, my God, we have 20 minutes now. And there's no way we're going through all of the VFX shots and being able to yeah. retime everything slightly. Yeah, it's a lot. So we had three sound effects stage editors. Who wow. would like because there was everything was being cut offline, of course, mm -hmm. and it would be fed into the stage. But they were going so fast that they, there was mistakes and there were sure. things that were, were missing and where. Mm -hmm. And so these stage editors were keeping up, trying to keep up with everything. Wow! And there were and the stage was full of editors, and and we had there was twenty people on the stage at all times, wow. and it was like nuts. So <laughs> Hans is in the hallway. He brought his rig down and put it in the hallway with his keyboard and composed the last cue. Right outside the door. That's amazing. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, that sounds pretty difficult. Yeah. It was, <laughs> wow. And we just looked at each other and we, we were also like pumped up and high. I think we all have collapsed afterwards. And You said 56 days, right? 56 straight days on two stages. Not a day off. Wow. And uh, we finished, uh, we've, we had the premiere on December 18th. We weren't done yet. So we sent them a temp track. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, it was 80% yeah, done, 85% done. Yeah, 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 yeah. But a lot of the music was uh, was not. And uh, oh, and what was oh, the funny thing was a, a week or two before the, December 18th, we had to send something to get the uh, press going. Mm -hmm. So they had we had put together something with a bunch of Best of Hans music. Oh, okay. From other movies. And so in your Bob copious Batterman free time. Put all that together. Yeah, in our free time. We had to put that together. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And they started writing uh, um, their critiques on, on, the, uh, uh, their, on the movie. Mm -hmm. And they were calling it Hans Simmer's best score ever. Well, it was. It was Hans' greatest hits. <laughs> It right? wasn't the real score from <laughs> the movie. It was from his greatest hit stuff. Oh, that's so funny. Hans, and the, uh, so the only people, anyway, um, at the premiere, we went back to the stage and kept mixing. Wow, wow. For about three more days, four more days. We finished on December 22nd. Just in time for Christmas. And it released on December 25th. Wow, Merry Christmas, you get to take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> Truthfully, yeah. Wow, that must have been a crazy adventure. That's yeah. insane. And, and uh, Brick, uh, Jerry Bruckheimer was the producer and he said, one of my favorite quotes of all time. He wanted to keep going, and uh, and somebody said, "You can't do that. It's Christmas." He says, "So what? We just keep every keep the labs open and keep everything going and making. You know, we got to make prints. Yeah. We got to do this. We got to." He goes, "You can't do that. It's, you know what it would cost you?" And he said, "It's only money, and we have plenty of that." <laughs> And he's the only man in the world who could ever say that. Right, I think. right. I was going to say, wow, what do you need? To, how, where do you, how do you get there? <laughs> that, th that's the man I want to be. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I think we might be in the wrong business, though. I don't yeah. know. So, 
<laughs> oh wow, that's amazing. Maybe Elon Musk could say could say Perhaps, that. Perhaps, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, take joy rides to the moon. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> You're sitting in a room for two months with you know these high powered directors and producers. You hear some stories. Oh know? yeah, 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 yeah. See some things you can't unsee. Hear some things you can't unhear. But there is something that I, I would like the industry to know: what it took to get mixers the pay that they get today. Mm. And it was very calculated on my part. Mm-hmm. Because when I was working at Warner Brothers in the top room with the top guys, and uh, I was getting thirteen or $11 an hour is what mm-hmm. a, uh, scale was back then, and mm-hmm. I got a bump up to $13 an hour mm-hmm. uh, after about two years. So Arth Pianodosi was getting $17 an hour. He was mm-hmm. the best top mixer in the business mm-hmm. at that time. $17 an hour. So when I left... Uh, in 1980 to start a new adventure because uh, I'm uh, I'm adventurous like that. I thought, you okay, are. <laughs> I, I got, I'm going to do something new now. Mm-hmm. And somebody said, hey, you can run this studio with, with Robert Altman in my mm-hmm. own little studio thing, you know. So I took advantage of that. But when I did, I said, I'm not going to work for this scale kind of stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to work under that system. I have... Been to meetings where there was collusion about people getting paid. Mm-hmm. And studio to studio, the discussions about how much they pay people and no, don't you, so-and-so is going to come work for you and don't you pay him more than this because that's what mm-hmm, I paid him mm-hmm. here. And you know, there was a lot of that collusion going on in those days. Mm-hmm. When I went to, to Lionsgate, I said, I'm going to work for a flat. I'm going to like basically double my weekly salary, but I'm going to do it on a flat because you're not going to buy it if I just double my salary from right, right, uh, right. You know, up to $40 an hour. Yeah, they want to be able to abuse you a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I did it by doing it on a flat. Okay. And uh, I put the hours in. I didn't mind putting the hours in. I was putting 100 hours mm-hmm. in a week, mm-hmm. but it was a really good flat. Mm-hmm. And then I raised it after about two years and uh, it, it was everybody was good with it, and then when I left Lionsgate after four years, I started uh, independently going to making deals directly with the producers, not mm. post production supervisors or studios. Mm-hmm. When you go to a producer, he's a guy who's used to writing million dollar checks. Mm-hmm. You throw a number at him, and he has a different point of view of what mm-hmm. that number is. And if you say it, even though he knows. That, the parameters that he should be yeah, working yeah. with. Anyway, sure. I started pushing the limits. And then, and then they had me, like, again, I was trying to stick with the flats. Mm-hmm. But then it wasn't working for some people, so I had to go to an hourly thing. But then they, you know, it, the hourly was so high or the weekly was so high that they didn't want to do the uh, benefits. Mm-hmm. So I went, for, I went for seven years without pay, uh, getting benefits. Whoa. In order to get my, my hourly higher and higher and higher and i kept pushing it getting it up and up and up and up to where i'm like four times scale five times scale six Mm -hmm. times scale god bless you and i was doing it because i thought that there was a sense that mixers were valuable Mm -hmm. enough to say, if you want me, pay for me they weren't hiring the studios to do the work they were hiring the mixer to that's correct yeah it's not a so staff I job. Thought, so you know, working at Warner Brothers or Columbia or Sony or whoever, they're not going to pay me those kinds of rates. They're, you mm-hmm. know, I'm going to go right to the producer. 
Now, mm. I pissed off a lot of people. Uh, sure. And uh, what I did is I just pushed the rate up. So where mm -hmm. it got into like 1990, mm -hmm. I'm sitting way up. What, I'm making five times more than anybody else in town. Right, right. Wow. And I say to people, to some of my buddies, come with me. Yeah. Get out of your systems. Get out yeah. of, quit your studios. Come uh, uh, with me and, and uh, 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 independent and start making your own deals. Mm -hmm. And so people did. And we, I brought them to uh, Lantana, uh -huh. uh, to, which was uh, a Skywalker at the time. Interesting. When, 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 well, that's another little side story. I was supposed to actually, uh, Bruce Marco and myself were going to build, uh, we had the, co the contract to build that facility. And it was last, a beautiful facility. And at the last minute, uh, the developer who was our partner uh, changed his mind and went with George Lucas instead of Mike Minkler and Bruce oh, Marco. And I was like, wah, wah. Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> we stayed on and anyway, and mm -hmm. we ran the place. And, yeah, and, yeah. and I staffed it and I staffed it with these guys. Right. Kevin yeah. O'Connell, Rick Klein, uh, uh, Landacre, and Maslow. Oh, man, to be here 20 years ago, darkening your doorstep. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, come on, guys, and we'll start doing this because Skywalker doesn't want you on their payroll. Mm -hmm. You're allowed to make your independent deals. Yeah, I have a loan out. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. let's go. And so they did it, and mm -hmm. they started charging when I was charging. Mm -hmm. And then the other guys in the other studios started going, I'm coming out too. And the ah. studios were going like, oh, no, you're not leaving. They're going, well, I can make, you know. Yeah, we'll look over here. Yeah, $200 yeah. an hour, $250 an hour. That was it. Okay, I'll pay you that. So you changed, they changed the paradigm. And so there was a bidding war oh. all throughout the town. Well done, sir. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you, sir. <laughs> I started it off and they all kept the ball rolling mm -hmm. and they, they created a bidding war. And to where mixers were getting, were making their own deals. Yeah, yeah. And some of them were getting more than I was getting. Right, right. God bless you. Get yeah, whatever exactly, you right. can. Well, you know, one of the things that I, I remember is when I was first told about, and I, I hate to bring it back to CAS, but when I was first told about CAS, I was told that the original impetus of CAS was actually about guys from multiple studios getting together to kind of decrease the the collusion that was happening between management about hours and pay. And like if they all kept each other informed and asked for similar things, then the that they were they were basically within trying to push up to increase better, you know, conditions for audio mixers at the time. Oh, yeah, it was the, the, it was very, the counter collusion. It was, yeah. it was. Yeah. We did, that's it was exactly to show what, solidarity and to what, push demand better for all of us. Yes. Yeah. I hope we still do that. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the, anyway, the mixers started making whatever they could make and, mm -hmm. and God bless them. And they're still up there these days. And now, mm -hmm. now comes to why aren't the sound editors doing it? That's true. That's true. And I said the same thing all along. What's wrong with you? They go, you go, you make so goddamn much money. Mm. And I'm going, well, you can too. Change, yeah, change the paradigm, change the game. Look. Yeah. Although when, that when, is risky and it's, it's very courageous what you did. Absolutely, yeah. it was courageous. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 and it didn't harm me. I mean, I, I went through a lot to get, yes. Yeah, yeah. It was and, but I knew what path. I was doing. I knew yeah. that I, what the end goal was, mm -hmm. which was to get everybody making a ton of money. Right. And, and it was because of what our worth was. Because when these guys started to pull out from the major studios and saying, I'm going independent like Mike, and they said, no, you're not. I told you guys, you're what's important. So everybody realized it was the mixer that was the draw. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. And same way in many cases with uh, supervising sound editors. Yes. Yeah. And so, so I said to the yeah. supervising sound editor, what's rise the up. matter with you guys? Yeah, rise up. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And they wow. didn't. They were too, I don't know. Maybe they were well, there's a few. A f- it's happening a little. It's happening a bit. Well, okay. Yeah. I got another little sidebar on this story. <laughs> uh, in the late 90s, having a similar conversation like this, why aren't you doing this? What's the matter with you? Oh, they'll only pay us this and only pay us that. Okay, blah, blah, blah. And then some time right after that, he, we're, we're ch- sitting around ch- chatting and he was like, you know, he was already so big by now. Yeah. Yet he's only making, you know, his whatever. And I said, just do it directly. He goes, well, there's this picture coming up that I really don't want to do. I said, perfect. Go back to him and tell him you'll do it for a flat $400,000. Huh. I don't know why I picked that number, but I remember that that was a You're number. like, I'm picking I, it for the sky. And so he said, Okay. And a week later, he came back and said, they took it. <laughs> wow, there's a show coming up that I'm not really fond of. <laughs> exactly. So he pulled it off. You know, hey. <laughs> and I'm like, go tell everybody. Right, right. There's no sure. reason why you sound, you supervisors shouldn't be getting this. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. you're the draw. Tell, tell them yeah. you want, you know, yeah. you know, $500 an hour or yeah, 10000 yeah. a week. Whatever, like picture editors do. Yes. Picture editors are getting, we're getting $20,000. Uh, and a they week. have really increased in, uh, I love what Ace has done, and, and I they've really increased in uh, influence across the industry in, in like the last, I would say, 20 years for sure. Yeah. yeah. And those doctors, the mm-hmm. doctor picture editors, they were getting, 20, you know, this was tw- 15, 20 years ago, they were getting $20,000 a week mm-hmm. because they were in demand. Right. Come right. save my movie. Yeah. You don't say, okay, I'll do it for scale. No, you say, I'm going to do it for 20 grand. They go, I guarantee you they'll say yes. Huh. Just ask. And if they don't, if they only want to pay you scale, don't do it. You know what? They'll call you back two days later. I have had a couple where I've said no for the price tag, and then I've got a call later on about like, no, it's really messed up. Okay, okay, okay. I have had that. That has happened to me. Yeah, and I've been like, oh, okay. Yes, the power of no. Mm. All I want to say is that's why... You know, people ask me, you know, these mixers make so much money and the editors don't, you know, because I see it sliding down now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, It's yeah. going down big time. Right, right. Quickly. Mm-hmm. It's because there's, there's so many self-educated people out there right. in sound. Where there wasn't, it wasn't like that before. Mm-hmm. You had to get into it. Yes. Into the door. Yes. The apprenticeship path yeah. that you were able to take, I yeah. am envious of to a degree that I can't express. Yeah. So... They can always find somebody to replace you mm-hmm. who will work for nothing mm. or 20 bucks an hour. Right. Now, you're gonna, they're going to get what they pay for, sure. Right. But these, some of these people don't care. Yeah. Why, uh, nobody wants, you shouldn't be working for them anyway. All, all I'm saying is it, it's driving everything back down, down, right, down. Right, right, right. So you got to keep, uh, just remember how we got to where we were. Mm-hmm. It's by claiming your worth. That's okay. an excellent, that's excellent. I'd like to talk about, real briefly, I'd like to talk about Quentin Tarantino. I mean, you have a career relationship with him. Yes, right now yeah. it's like 23 years or something. That's insane. How did you meet him? Like, how did you get- Sally Menke. Sally Menke? Yeah, his editor. Oh, okay. Uh, her, I knew her. She called and asked me to mix Jackie Brown. And That's I said, a great yes. film. And that was my first experience with Quentin, and, and I stayed on. 
And and you did you you obviously have a vibe with him like you personally tend to well yeah of course yeah. We, we do now yeah yeah um, did just, you know then it was going to be a a relationship like you knew that this was going to be you guys were gonna no have... I knew I wanted it to be because I really like him he's so much fun he is fun he's um and, and I I I gauge all of our mixing time and experiences with how much fun he's having. <laughs> If he's still having fun, we're doing good. When mm -hmm. he stops having fun, because I've seen him a couple of times in the whole, mm -hmm. out of all the movies, there's only been like twice where he was not having fun. Mm -hmm. And I knew exactly what it was both times Yeah, that was bothering him. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had to fix it right away. Well, it sounds like your ability to identify that and make that your goal, that would that would be a great reason for me as a filmmaker to keep you on. So <laughs> that's Yeah, it's okay. an understanding yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah. But I think we cling to each other uh because I think we uh appreciate the same types of things in in films. And we and he loves the films of the late sixties and early seventies, of which I also am a fan of, mm -hmm. even the bad ones. And there are so <laughs> many that are bad and they're so good because they are bad. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and um, so we talk about those a lot, mm -hmm. and we talk about the filmmakers because mm -hmm. I know the same. You know, he's ten years younger than me, but he knows a lot about that era, and and I know because I was there, even though I was very, very young. And mm -hmm. but I was such a film buff, I know those guys, I know those mm -hmm. names. Wow. So we talk movies all the time, all day. That's cool. That's very cool. Uh, so we have that in common, mm -hmm. and he just knows that uh, I respect what he wants, mm -hmm. and he respects what I want to do more. I love it. And he's just so he he knows I'm going to deliver exactly what he wants because he mm -hmm. that goes back to Sally Menke, his picture editor mm -hmm. from back then. Says she has since passed away, and uh, he has Fred Raskin now, who used to work for Sally. So. Uh, Sally always wanted to present him with, you know, sound while they were cutting. Mm -hmm. And we would always feed sound, the cutting room, mm -hmm. not we, not me. It was either Wiley or it was, mm -hmm. uh, it was Steve uh, Flick back mm -hmm. in Jackie Brown. And so, and Quentin loves to loves his production sound. Mm -hmm. And he uses all of his production sound. He doesn't, he doesn't replace it. He, oh, wow. Love. Oh, yeah. He, when he puts a prop on, you're going to use that prop and you're going to record that prop. <laughs> Well, you know, I, the fact that he records it properly, I'm down. That's great. That's right. Yeah. And they got microphones everywhere. Mark Ulano's a genius at, <laughs> at recording the set. Mm -hmm. So that's layer one. And then mm -hmm. on top of that is all this, the sweeteners to help those that layer one. So they've got wow. these two layers now. Wow. And then that's that's the bottom line. This is what we're going to start. Here's what we're going to start with and go from there. Mm -hmm. And we can go anywhere we want. We can go as far right, as we right. want until we nah, went too far. Yeah, yeah. And he knows what I'll, when I'll pull that back. Right. Uh, I don't let it go too far. There is a thing, what would Quentin like? It's, it's right. our, like our motto. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I just use that all the time. Is it a WWQD? Some, some people in the room, do? they want to go off and... <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, nope, no, we cannot go there. I mean, I'll, we'll try it. I'll, I'll listen to your idea. What is your idea? And then, and then like, I don't know, he's not going to like that. No. Would you say that that is generally your secret to pleasing filmmakers is that you learn what it is that they want and you don't yes. go, you try and elevate that, but you don't go beyond what they will accept? Like you learn that? Like Yes, you you do yeah. learn that. Yeah. You have to read your director. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. you gotta, and you got to gain a trust. And it takes, if it's a new director, it'll take a week or two. Mm -hmm. uh, 
hopefully not much longer than that. And then, of course, by the by the end of the film, he trusts you completely, and then hopefully you have now a, a repeat customer. Nice. But I also respect everyone in the room and what they're what they are contributing. So it's an open room at all times. Anyone's allowed to say anything, and is allowed to uh, try anything. Nice. I'll never say no, but I'll say. I mean, not to begin with, I won't say no, but I'll say I'll say no. This mm-hmm. is I don't think this is going to work. Right. I if I if I think it might work, we'll we'll do it and put it aside mm-hmm. and we'll offer it later. But, you know, most of the time things do work. They're good ideas mm-hmm. and I have a I think I have a good evaluation of what what can work. Mm-hmm. What should work, what will make the director happy. And that is my job, to make the director happy, everyone else in the room happy, but most importantly, the movie happy. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not making the movie happy, uh, then we're we're not servicing the movie. We're not mm-hmm. doing the job. Right. Too many people want to do have have their own little agendas. Mm-hmm. My little sound effects. My little foley. Right, right, right. My this little, was cool. I made this my cool music. Thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's easy to fall in love and, with your and, own schmutz. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and, and the picture editor with my cut and my mm-hmm. my syllable mm-hmm. and all this stuff, which is all fine and good mm-hmm. uh, to a point. But if, if it's not serving the movie. Mm-hmm. Then you've got to let that go. Copy that, yeah. And I—that's I, I, what I always try to do. Somebody's mm-hmm. got to be doing it, serving the movie. What would you say if you do? You have any tips for uh, I don't know people like myself on how to uh, find that space, like how to read the director, how to find that that space, how to to reach that point? I don't know. I couldn't tell you how to do it. I just know that. Um, it's just human nature. When you meet someone for the first time, you you get to know them and understand them. So yeah. you, you meet somebody and you find an attachment, or you don't. Yeah, yeah. You like them, or you you dig their vibe, mm-hmm. or, or and, and you got to get into them. You got to start to think like them. And some people are easier to think uh, to read them mm-hmm. than other people. And good directors are articulate, mm-hmm. and you can read them by what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And not so good directors are flighty and they're all over the place and they're blaming everybody else for the failures. Mm-hmm. And they go uh, and they say things like, well, I don't know, come up with something. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, that's that doesn't make for a very good uh, relationship. Yeah. You, you can't. What, what are you what are you going to build off? Right, right. Of, yeah. of that person. One of the things that's been hard for me to learn and uh, I've I've just recently come to this realization because I love to please everyone and I love the experience of seeing a story from a different lens. Like I like learning how the director sees their narrative because a lot of times it's different than I may have seen it when I watched it initially. And I love kind of learning their perspective. It's it's a fun practice. But I've just recently come to the conclusion that sometimes the lens of the person that you're working with, it can be not a good match. Uh, I can still, I'll do a great job and I'll certainly do what they want uh, and, and certainly take care of them and do make all efforts to see through their lens. But I think it is true that some mixers, like you're probably, you probably are Quentin's match in film mixing. I have uh, directors and producers that I work with that it's a match. Like I feel that energy. And then others where I'm like, eh, I, I love that yeah. person. I know what they want. I can, I will take care of it. I will fight the good fight, you know, I'll run into the fire, I'll take care of it. But it's not 
their vision is not my where I where my mind and heart go with the narrative. Yes. Yeah. I think all of us sound professionals think we know how to read people. And we all <laughs> like to walk around saying, I know what he likes. Or I think he's gonna like this. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they're wrong. Mm -hmm. And I'll look and I'll go, ooh, <laughs> I don't think so. This is where uh, I wish the podcast had video because that is a great face. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's like, uh, I don't know where you're coming from, but you know, I would wholeheartedly disagree with that. I mean, I'm not going to say it. I'll, I'll let them go down that road and yep. watch them you know, fail. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that, let's do it. If that's yeah. what you want, buddy. <laughs> okay. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, no, I always try everything, but uh but yeah, sometimes I'm like, I don't know about this person's sensibility. Yeah. But, the, <laughs> but but now that we've exposed that, okay. <laughs> you're done. Yeah, yeah. Let's try this. <laughs> <laughs> you had your shot. I love it. I and, love it. And uh you know, keep up the good work. Everything's fine, <laughs> but uh, we're just not going to take all of these ideas. So, you know, a lot of sounders have just piles of these ideas and that they just dying to get get into the film. And it's like, God, no, come on, guys. No. Mm -hmm. it's not. What's the film calling for? Yeah. So talking to your director, you, you just, you, you bond. And if you, like I say, the, the, I've been so lucky to work with great directors who are articulate and you really start to understand this particular project and and their relationship with that project and and you you just go there and you live it now i am the kind of person who uh does take his work home mm -hmm. i i i live it mm -hmm. and i dream about it and i act upon it and i but that also neglects my personal life Mm -hmm. You know, it's not good for my personal life because I spent all of my thought on my work. Mm -hmm. And it's, that's the negative part of my career because mm -hmm. it, it has hurt my relationships with my family. Mm -hmm. And uh, It is hard to separate. I can relate to that. Well, some people can just dust it off and, and walk in the door and, and mm -hmm. their dad, all of a sudden their dad and, or their husband and... and and do it just fine, and I don't. I just I'm still thinking about work, and I'm thinking, what could I have done here? What can I do here? What am I going to do tomorrow? How am I going to do this? And I, and I and I dream about the scenes, and I'm trying oh, to get too. I'm trying to get into the scenes, yeah, and and the performances, and uh, good God, I, it's I get obsessed with it, and it's not a yeah, it's not a healthy thing, but it for work it was healthy, it, yeah, because I can get into the movie, right, right. And you've yeah. got to get into it or, or you're just sitting and pushing it. buttons. I feel like uh, with what we do, there's no way in a lifetime you'd be able to live all the stories and narratives that you've told as a re-recording mixer. And you've been able to get into each one of those lives and stories and narratives. It's like the adventures we go into. That's what I mean when I say audio adventures, like the world I get to live in today. You know? It is that. Yeah. And and I get to close the door and, and isolate myself mm -hmm. from the rest of the world. Yeah. And I prefer my world that I can control. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> That's the mixer thing. We got That's a little true. bit of control. We That's got the true. forward button and the stop button. That's true. Okay. I got up as louder and down. That's right. You know, it's a, so it's just that little, those little things that give you control. I love it. And I don't answer phones if I don't want, you know. It's me like, neither. I, I, mean, I, I create a bubble as much as I can. I create a bubble. Yeah. You got to, uh, uh, sometimes I just go to work to hide. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot, a lot yeah. especially in my earlier days. And I would yeah, go, I go I'm, early and I go in the afternoon too because I like the solitude and the quiet of the dub stage. I like that bubble, that space, that that fort, yeah. you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. It's home. It is home. Um, I once had a friend, you mentioned him earlier, actually my friend, uh, Kerry Thomas, um, who described you as the Buddha of sound mixing. Like I actually wrote this down. Cool. Yeah, cool, right? And um, I I haven't worked with you personally, but observing you socially and getting to know you and certainly talking with you today, um, I can see what he meant. Um, You are very talented and you're very tuned to storytelling and you do exude a quiet, calm confidence that... I would imagine filmmakers must really gravitate to, and it must be very comforting, and uh, they must feel seen. And I, I think that's really amazing. Um, thank you so much for chatting with me today, and thank everybody who is listening. This is Carol Urban, CAS, and Mike Minkler, CAS. Uh, well, thank for, you, Carol. Yeah, absolutely, for uh, in conversation. Let's thank do some you. more. Yeah. <laughs> Did you enjoy that? Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.